The following podcast is a proud member of the Blue Collar Roots Network. Find all the shows by visiting bluecollarroots.com. Think of this show in this way. Rush Limbaugh and Howard Stern had a child, and that child grew up to have a podcast about building science. This is the opposite of that. Here's Bill Spone. Welcome back to the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Today we welcome Gary Reeker. I know Gary from a number of different aspects of his career. That is an educator, a member of the refrigeration service engineers, and just an all-around nice guy who helps a lot of people out on all the different forums and Facebook groups that revolve around HVAC. Gary tells us a lot about his career, sort of his point of view on how he goes about things. That's an interesting ride to take a look at his life journey. So here we have Gary Reeker coming right up. Good afternoon and welcome to another episode of the Building HVAC Science Podcast. Today we have Gary Reeker with us. He's from the Midwest and he's got a lot of experience to share today and we're going to see where this conversation takes us. So Gary, welcome. Thank you for coming on. Well, thank you for inviting me, Bill. And Desi Riggs says hello. Great. (laughs) Back at you. Gary, why don't you cover a little bit about your background? What kind of led you on this journey to this point where you're now semi-retired, I believe, also teaching HVAC? I'm pretty much retired now, except for substitute for time to time, but that's about it. But my journey to this career field started off basically in the Air Force. I was what they call an aircraft environmental systems technician for 23 years, and that involved with dealing with aircraft heating, air conditioning. Mainly the air conditioning on most of the aircraft today is what you call an expansion type air conditioning. They take hot bleed air from the engines and run it through some heat exchangers like a condenser. And then they run it through what would look like a centrifugal compressor, but it does it in reverse where they take it and they rapidly expand the air. And when they do that, you can get temperatures down to minus 35 degrees coming off those machines. But you got to have a jet engine to run it. So it's quite expensive (laughs) for the commercial industry who could possibly use it. But that's where it led to. And when I got close to retirement, I said, well, what can I do I don't want to just sit around doing nothing for 30-some years. So I looked at and I found, well, heating and air conditioning, a lot of the electrical that I learned in the Air Force I could use, and I knew about heating and air conditioning. So a lot of that I could transfer over my knowledge to those two residential and commercial systems. But I still had to go through some training, so I went to our local community college and got an associates doing that. And then I ended up doing service work for a number of years for different companies. How was the Air Force experience for you? Do you think back and reflect on that today when you're doing either the teaching or in your career after you did work for different companies? Did it make you become resourceful or very handy or what did it do to affect the way you did your work? Different aircraft have different systems. So you had a learning curve on a lot of that. And A lot of the knowledge you pick up is from OJT because there might be some peculiarities in one aircraft system versus another aircraft system. There are some basics that carry over to each of those. 
Would you find that how much of the experience that you got was relevant or was it just sort of the experience you went through, the fact that you had to solve problems? What kind of time pressure were you under being an environmental systems technician? Was there rapid turnaround required or how did that work? A lot of times you set an ETAC estimated time completion, say an hour, and then you'd have another line dispatcher come up and ask you, 15 minutes later, how long are you going to be? And to relate a joke, uh, this one guy said, he told the line dispatcher come up and said, how much longer you got to be? And he says, I got another 15 feet to go. <laughs> <laughs> so is that where you picked up your sense of humor? <laughs> oh, years. That's pretty cool. So the community college, what was the program like? And what kind of time frame? I mean, you could mention the decade. You don't have to necessarily mention the year. Uh, it was a two-year program. And what was unique about that, there was no starting the first year every fall. I was very fortunate that when I retired, that they were starting in their first year because they go first year with this same instructor. And then the second year, the same instructor would do the second year on the same hours, basically. So unless you could start right then, because it would be a hard program to get through today or get started. Do you see that as being different than the way things are being run now for typical community college programs? If the community college has got a two-year program, usually they're concurrent. You have hopefully a first year and a second year instructor, and they're both being taught in the same time frame. And when the first year graduates, they can go on to the second year. So as you move through your career, what kind of companies did you work for? Was it primarily comfort cooling? Was it refrigeration, a combination? A combination. The first company I started with in Clinton, Iowa, was just basic uh, residential heating and cooling and some light commercial work. It was basically gas heating, oil heating, electric heating, and some heat pumps. So you had the full spectrum of HVAC equipment that you had to service and take care of. How did you pick up knowledge that you needed? Was it seminars? Was it reading on your own? You seem like a guy who really has immersed himself in a lot of resources and knowledge. You seem to be able to have an answer for anything for what I can see. You help out so much in these forums. Is that where you learned how to come up with your resources? Like anything, developing resources takes an effort of looking and how to look for resources, okay? Basically, go out there and do some searches. One of the things that got me involved was when I graduated, they said, you need to have continuing education in this. And a good organization was the Refrigeration Service Engineer Society, which I joined back in 91. Is that where we met? Did I come out and do a session for you guys? And I think even Jim Bergman did too, at least once or twice. Jim Bergman, he conducted one of our seminars. You came out and did a chapter meeting with John Feigen. Yeah, so that must have been during my Testo days with John, my colleague there at Testo. What area of the country are we talking about? Have you spent most of your time around Clinton, Iowa, or what is that region? Northwest Illinois, Clinton, Iowa. Where I'm located is Sterling, Illinois. It's about halfway between Davenport, Iowa and Rockford, Illinois. As you moved on into instructing, where did you teach and what kind of program? Well, I got my instructor experience down at Chinute Air Force Base by chance. He uh, had requested while he was up at Warp Smith Air Force Base in Michigan 
they had came down with a request that and someone come in to do and become an instructor down at Chanute. So I applied. So that's where my basic instructor experience is. This was back when you did 16 millimeter projectors and 35 millimeter carousel slides and flip charts and overhead transparency projectors and et cetera, et cetera. And that was about a six week course going through their basic technical instructor course. So you've actually had training to be an instructor. It wasn't something you just dove into on your own. No, it wasn't something that I dove in on my own. And that was a very good basic background in instructing. You've been at this for quite a while, both your career and instructing. And what kind of changes have you seen, both good and bad? It's sort of, uh, we'll start off with just the HVC industry, the equipment. And I don't mean bad, like bad people, bad equipment, but what kind of changes have been become more challenging in the HVAC field? I would say a lot of the electronics. Gotcha. And the fact that a lot of the sensitivity of the electronics, that even if you lose just a few volts over a switch, say a pressure switch, is going to cause a problem, even though the switch doesn't open fully. So that adds a new dimension to the troubleshooting skills and the techniques. How about in terms of the uh, equipment itself? Has the changes in regulation for the higher SEER equipment or anything about that or new technology is in compressors? Do they present challenges and benefits? How do you look on that? I think the newer equipment is really a benefit. It improves efficiency if it's improperly installed, and that is the key to anything. It's got to be properly installed. A lot of times we just look at, oh, it's a furnace, well, or it's an air conditioner, and we don't take a look at what else we've got in the system, such as improperly sized ductwork or leaking ductwork, improperly located grills, maybe the fact that whoever did the initial installation chose one type of grill where another type style grill would have done a diffuser flow dispersion pattern on grills would have made a difference in the comfort for a family. When you look back on this, do you have any recommended operating procedures or standards, even in your mind, your own checklist? What would you do for a good installation? Basically, if it was a replace new installation, definitely do your manual J and then your manual D for residential and your manual S for equipment selection. Talk with the customer and find out what their needs are. What are they looking for? Are they just looking for a basic stain? alive type of situation or they really they don't want to freeze or they don't want to overheat and they're not worried about noise that type of situation or are they really concerned about good efficiency and good noise control in the system that they're going to get if it's an existing system i would say definitely do a whole house manual j not a room by room but get a feel of whether that original equipment was oversized or undersized Typically, most equipment is oversized. It almost sounds like you, that's a very uh, consultative sale type approach. Did you ever work in sales or ever encounter anything like that in your career? I never worked in sales, but I picked up things over the years of what people were looking for, okay? I was just basically a service technician, and I really didn't have a desire to buy a company or start my own company either. 
So how did you make the transition from sort of the field work into education and to that aspect? What caused you to look at that? My age. At the time that I quit service work, I was thinking around 62. I told Desi Rigg and John Blair down at the community, I knew about that I was get ready to get out and take an easier approach. And by chance, the last day that I was working for my last company, they called me on the phone at the end of the day and they said, we've got a problem down here. Scott, can you help us out? And they said, what's the problem? We have 39 students enrolled for the first year and we can't handle all 39 in one classroom. Would you be willing to teach one of the classes? Because they knew they were going to lose some students because any class going in, you're going to lose some students. Because they're going to change their mind to say, well, this is not really what I wanted to do. So they figured that I wouldn't be teaching the second year, but it ended up in the fifth and sixth year. And I said, hey, I was only supposed to be here for a year. I really want to cut back. And a lot of the extra knowledge that I got was you really got to prepare for students. So you're into the books more than you ever were. I think something that characterized this, in fact, I'm probably going to name the episode here when I'm done, that you're the most helpful guy in HVACR that I know. And that sounds like you rose to the call, you rose to the occasion, you decided to help out. That's very admirable. Something else where you've helped out a lot, and this is something where I recall, I don't know if you do this much anymore, carbon monoxide. You seem to have, was it a web page or a website or a forum? What did you used to do there? Well, I had a web page that listed a lot of links to carbon monoxide, but it became, I was going to have it a one-stop shop for carbon monoxide information, and it just became too much for me. So when I changed internet servers, providers. The provider that I had at the time provided a free web, and I just let that account go when I changed over to another internet provider. You've probably worked a lot with Bob Dwyer then, and doesn't he continue on doing something there? COSA? Do you know much about that? Yeah, he's involved with COSA. The first time I met Bob was he was working for Backrack at the time, and he came in and he was teaching a tri-county weatherization for carbon monoxide. He says, I'm Bob Byron. I raised my head and said, aren't you teaching for the wrong company? <laughs> we both got a chuckle out of that. Yeah. And for those people out there that didn't pick up on that, that's Dwyer Instruments is what Gary's referencing here. There's another CEO expert, I'll call him, that uh, is in the Iowa area, Tom Griner. Did you do much work or know him? Oh, yes. We had him out to our RSES he came out and did two seminars. Very knowledgeable person. And he was from Iowa State University? Yeah. He retired and he's gone down to Lake Havasu, Arizona, where they have a lot of boating carbon monoxide incidents. Incidents. They do some very tragic ones. I heard of one poisoning of some teenagers. They came up inside the hull of a catamaran and the exhaust had built up such high levels of CO, they were instantly knocked out and drowned. Yeah. Very sad situations. You mentioned weatherization training is where you met Bob. He came in to do the Tri-County training. How much weatherization-related work did you do or anything in home performance? Or what's your view on home performance? This was back in the 70s where everything was just starting. We Tri-County would come out and they would have us go look at equipment and determine whether the age of it was good or not. 
A lot of it was still standing pilots, and they were upgrading when they could to 80% furnaces with chimney liners or 90% furnaces, which would be better. And that's what we were doing for Illinois Tri-County Weather Services in Whiteside County. Would they give you criteria to evaluate, or did you bring your own evaluation criteria to determine whether they're good or not? It was basically an inspection of the furnace, see if it was still in operational condition, if it operated, and whether it was safe or not. So we did a lot of heat exchanger inspections on those equipment. That's always an interesting topic. I know heat exchanger inspections. What kind of procedures did you use for your inspections? Well, starting out, it was basically mirrors and flashlights and looking for flame wavering when the blower came on. We didn't have uh, combustion meters back at that time. And I think it was that was during the time when the Monoxer 2 was just maybe coming out during that period. That was actually around 91. I actually was on the team that developed that. And my name's on the patent at Backrack for the Monoxer 2, the technology in there. So that was a very interesting time. Lots of rapid growth in that field. Lots of awareness. How about contrasting even working in that area for almost 25 years and heat exchangers? How have they changed and how has it become either easier or more challenging? Or how is it that whole framework with heat exchanger designs? Well, the heat exchangers, they become a little bit more complex. It's not like your old linear burners with the burner at the bottom and you're floating the combustion gases up through the heat exchanger and then exhausted through the draft hood. Your 90% furnaces are a little bit more difficult to inspect because of the secondary heat exchanger. So a lot of it now is looking for flame deviation and using combustion meters to see if there is a change in the carbon monoxide or oxygen levels in the flue gas on your 80s and 90% to see if they change when the air circulation blower comes on. That's a very good indicator that you've got a problem with the heat exchanger leaking, either through a crack or through a rusted hole or broken crimp ring, whatever. Right, the eyelets that are getting knocked out or corroded. I've actually done some expert witness work in that area. The very technical term they use, it's called fluid communication. If the blower circulation air fan comes on and that air disrupts the flame, as you said, or disrupts the combustion, either one way or another, that shows sign of fluid communication. So that's a new term you can hang in your directory of knowledge there. And just recently on one of the groups, somebody posted that they also check to see if there's air communication by using a hot wire anemometer. He puts the probe inside the burner chamber and then turns the air circulation blower on. (laughs) He says it's very sensitive. Yeah, hot wires are very sensitive to low velocities and changes like that, so it is a valid method amongst many others. Greetings, listeners in podcast land. Did you know that Backrack's been a leader in the design and manufacturing of combustion analysis equipment since 1909? It's one of those facts that I knew because I used to work there for 10 years. It's quite a fine company. Now, during their fall promotion, you can save on the purchase of a new combustion analyzer with rebates worth up to $350. That offer includes a free two-year subscription to their exclusive B-Smart Sensor Exchange program, 
with the purchase of a Fireate Intech or an Insight Plus. With the BeSmart Sensor Exchange Program, pre-calibrated sensors are shipped directly to you. No more hassle or downtime while you wait for the return of your analyzer from the factory for calibration. You can download your rebate form today at www.mybacharach.com forward slash offers. That's M-Y-B-A-C-H-A-R-A-C-H dot com forward slash offers. Enter the promo code HVAC Science. That's H-V-A-C-S-C-I-E-N-C-E. That will let them know that you heard it here on the Building HVAC Science podcast. This is a time-limited offer only for purchases made up to December 31st, 2017. So please take advantage of this. You mentioned there one of the groups and pages. You're very active on different forums and Facebook groups. Tell me how you got into that and what's your goals there? I started the HVACR instructors group. And basically my thoughts was is providing information on anything instructional wise that could come up and provide that information to other instructors at a point in time. A lot of the information is out there. I've got the time to surf the web and look for it and then post it and say, here's something. And maybe they're not going to use it at that time, but if they see it, they can click in their mind, say the other instructors click in their mind, hey, that was posted on the group and I can go back and go through the pages and look for that information and get to it and do something with that information. Is that group open only to instructors? Is it a closed group? How do you let people in if anyone's interested? It's a closed group. You need to be in some type of instruction type of situation, whether you're teaching for a community college or vocational school or whether you're teaching, such as David Nicholson for Johnstone Supply. He's an instructor and he doesn't actually teach in a formal student college or vocational school, but he comes out and does dealer rep instruction material. If anyone wanted to join that group, can they go to the page and submit a request to join? They need to go to that page, submit a request to join, and they got to answer the questions. Have you been involved in home performance, like blower door evaluation, duct leakage evaluation, thermal imaging? Has that ever touched your world or you touched it? Yeah. At one of our RSES chapter meetings, we had not only Retrotech came out and did talk about the blower door testing, but we also had an RSES member up in Makokata. He does heat pump insulation. He's very critical on air changes. So we had him come down and do a demonstration at our one of our chapter meetings. We knew somebody that was building houses in the area, and the contractor said, yeah, I would like to know how well that's constructed. And it turned out that when he started up, we were having leakage around the windowsills, those ceiling can lights. One of the returns that had a grill put on it, we were pulling attic air down through. This was before the change in the code about using wall cavities for returns. And we were pulling cold air from the attic down and out. That really upsets the balance of things and affects the load on the system a lot. And any use of thermal imaging, because actually you probably know the costs are coming down now and it's available for a couple hundred dollars. You can get some of the basic thermal cameras that attach to a smartphone. Yeah. The school, before I left, they got a FLIRT camera. If you don't have a thermal imaging camera, think about getting one because 
there's things on that. that if you start using it, it will open your eyes of what problems are out there as far as insulation, electrical thermal connections, motor overheatings, etc. The list is so large of problems that you can uncover and help your customers correct. Even seeing people use it on compressors and coils and look for block coils. And there's a lot of indications that you can see with the thermal vision there. Oh, yeah, especially with the micro channels. You could have sections of that micro channel I haven't encountered. I can see because of the small passages that are on that micro channel that if you got a, several of those that are blocked, and restricting, you could really see that change in temperatures on that coil. A couple minutes ago, you mentioned RSES. It seems like you're very active in your local area. Tell us a little bit more about RSES for people that might not know what that stands for and what they do as an organization. Okay, RSES is, stands for the Refrigeration Service Engineer Society. It was formed back in the 1930s when there was very little training available to refrigeration technicians at the time. It's a not-for-profit organization. They hold yearly conferences at the international level. State associations are supposed to get a conference once a year, if possible. A lot of it, our chapter has been very fortunate this year. I have got everything for our chapter meetings from September to May all booked up for speaking. Wow. And usually, like last year, the year before, I was fighting to get somebody to speak within the last two weeks of the presentation. And sometimes we had to cancel presentations. There's also the National Group does webinars, and I know I've done a couple for them, and we'll schedule to do a couple this coming year. But as a member, there's an awful lot of member benefits that come, in, including the national, the local, and the magazine, the journal as well as the training webinars. And there's uh, training materials. Don't they have training books and guides? What can you tell me about that? They have a lot of good training books and guides. I'm looking over the one on geothermal, and it's a really good book. It talks about installation and installation problems that people encounter when they're putting their loops in. They run into an undocumented drainage line that Utility people say, well, there's no problem in this area putting the loop in. We don't have anything in this area. And it turns out, yes, there was. So it highlights a lot of problems that you can encounter, as well as the basic information on operation and how to on installations. It was a really good eye-opening book. Sounds like a uh, very practical guide written by practitioners. People are actually out there using the equipment and doing the installs and encountering the problems. Would you say that's true? In that book, yes, I would say so. And is that book available just to the public? Is there like a member discount and then a public price, or is it only for members? There is a member discount, and then there's a public price. I'll be sure in the show notes to mention rses.org. So if anybody who's listening to this wants to follow up, you can just click on the show notes and find that out. You mentioned some of the Facebook groups and forums that you participate in. What are some of the favorite ones that you watch or get a lot out of? I think Brian Orr's HVAC school group is doing a tremendous job. I really like his daily technician tips. 
don't listen, Brian, but I'm stealing those and putting them on over on HVAC. <laughs> he puts them out there for people to use, I'm sure. It's, he's just a very generous-hearted kind of gentleman and very knowledgeable, too, and well-resourced. Maybe he's a younger version of Gary Reeker, perhaps. <laughs> Reincarnated. Well, I'm not dead yet. He can't be. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there we go. There's the humor kicking in. You got that very uh, wry, dry sense of humor. Do you care to share any humorous anecdotes or little bits of wisdom, quips, or puns even? A bird in the hand is better than one stuck in the flute pipe. <laughs> okay. Actually, have you ever encountered that in your work? Yes. So what were the symptoms? What caused you to look there, and how did that all kind of come about? Well, it depends on what it was. We had some really old oil furnaces in our area, and these were the ones that vented out the bottom of the furnace. The customer said, we're getting puffs of smoke in the basement. I went down there, and there's a wood duck in the chimney. Oh, geez. And most of your 80 percenters, if they don't put the right type of rain cap on, vent cap on it, yeah, the birds will get down into the flue. There are some really good vent caps out there. Don't use those ones that are just look like a pipe with a teepee on the top <laughs> that are really open, that are just nothing but more than a rain diverter. Yeah, just a deflector there. So I think the last time we met face-to-face was at the AHR Expo, the Air Conditioning Heating Refrigeration Expo. And that's coming to Chicago again this January. What do you get out of that? What drives you to go to that besides your car? Because there's the pun in you. I'm going to shortcut that one. So what drives you to go to that conference, that trade show? Well, like any junkie, you want to see what's new in the industry. And the other reason is I go up there and I make contacts to try to solicit, especially the tool and equipment section make uh, tool donations for the Skills USA contest down in Louisville, Kentucky. I think I actually helped you out with that this past year, and it's quite generous of you to been involved with that for several years. Tell us about Skills USA. What is the group about and what's their goal with the contest? Skills USA is promoting leadership in different areas of the trades. It's just not only HVAC, but they've got plumbing, electrical, sheet metal, paramedics, automotive, pain, you name a career field where it's hands-on doing things, they've got a program for it. It's basically to get the students involved in the industry. And they have different people such as uh, who that Canadian up there that does them home shows. Mike Holmes, Homes on Homes. Yeah, Holmes. Mike Holmes has been down there, done presentations as well as Mike Rowe talk to the groups and we have different people come out we had dave boyd was supposed to come out a couple years ago but he was during the period where he was a little under the weather so he had somebody else come out and he talked to the hvac students about vacuuming which was very good basically that's in the contest for hvac itself the students go through different stations they go through a brazing station where they have to braze a copper fixture and copper to steel fixture and using a filter dryer and also carrier does two stations they do one for airflow measurements either using the heat temperature rise method or you can use the pitot tube method of determining the airflow 
They also have their furnace heat problems. Hussman has got a contest down there where they troubleshoot a reach-in case. Emerson does a really good job on their refrigeration troubleshooting. Lennox has got one on air conditioning troubleshooting. And then RSES, Vest for Last, does one on equipment where we have them recover a small amount of refrigerant. They do evacuation down to the required levels, and then they recharge with a small amount of refrigerant. And they also go through a station where they've got some refrigerant cylinders where they measure the temperature of the cylinder and the pressures, and they determine what type of refrigerant is in those cylinders. So it's a pretty good program. We're looking for this coming year, they're going to add. Initially, it's going to be under the test because any new program has to go through one year evaluation. They're going to be doing one on mini splits on proper flaring and torquing and leak testing of copper fittings and fitting connections. So that's something to look forward to in June. In June, where does that happen again? That happens in Louisville, Kentucky. Every uh, year, the same city? Every year in the same city for a few years. And 2021, they're going to be moving down to Atlanta, Georgia. And is it only for vocational school students to come demonstrate their knowledge? How do they get there? I mean, they don't just one person applies and comes. Is there like a regional or anything like that going on? Yeah, they have regional state competitions. I'm involved almost every year with Illinois. Some years, Illinois and Iowa, because this past year, Iowa had the same contest dates as Illinois. So I went to Illinois. That's what they go through and they do their contest, similar to what we're doing down to the national levels. And whoever is the first place for, say, a community college or vocational school, or we have two categories. We have what's called secondary, which is high school level. And then post-secondary, which is your community colleges and your vocational schools. So there's two categories. You can have two contestants from the same area go down to the national contest. Are there educator groups that you belong to or belong to in the past? I believe there's some Council of Air Conditioning and Refrigeration Educators. Is that correct? Yep. There's a CARE, Council of Air Conditioning and Refrigeration Instructors. Or educators, I'm sorry. That's an E, not an I. And they were involved with doing their educators program up in uh, Maryland every year. And they've now rolled into the HVAC Excellence Conference. So now there's down just one educators conference each year. Do you go to the HVAC Excellence one? I did this past year in Florida. We must have met then too. I was down there. Hopefully I remember I didn't attend your session. I did the year before. Well, it was just a basically a rehash of last year. It's a little bit different, but I try to do something different every year, a little bit different, talking about airflow. We covered a lot of ground here today. Any areas you want to talk about that I skipped over? What I would like anyone out there listening is, as far as the HVAC trades were really hurting for service technicians and installers, but graders still need is educators. We really need new educators to get in the field. Next month, I turn 70. Some people say I don't look 70. 
No, I don't think you do. God bless you. You look really healthy, man. So I would encourage anybody, if you're in this trade and you like this trade, love this trade, please consider getting into doing some education. You don't have to do a full course at one time. Anything, get involved with RSES. We don't necessarily go out and get somebody from X company or Testo or True Tech Cools to come out and do a talk on equipment. Sometimes our own members do it. October, Desi Rig did a presentation on combustion testing. Last month, I did a presentation on heat exchanger inspection methods. So if it's just a small niche area, I'd like to do something on how to do electrical troubleshooting or whatever you're good at, okay? Come up with a presentation and give that presentation to your RSES chapter. Don't feel that you have to be the one sitting in the back of the room all the time. If you want to be in education and you're having problems talking in groups, if you've got a camera, a video camera, this is one thing they told us at technical training down at Chinook. Best way to understand how your presentation is going to other people is do a video of yourself. Play that back and see what are some of the things that you're doing that you don't like in your presentation and go back and correct those and become proficient at doing presentations and contact your local community college, get involved, their advisory board, making recommendations, do something to help the industry grow and educate the people that are coming in the future. We really need a lot of help. That's a very generous sentiment and a very on point one too. Because I'm going to get to the age when I'm 85, I'm not going to be able to take care of my furnace. <laughs> I know somebody that knows what they're doing. Right. <laughs> I think we could wrap up here uh, if you're comfortable with that. And I appreciate the pitch for getting people involved, especially from the instructor standpoint. So do you have a favorite quote you'd like to share? Maybe another one of your puns. They're probably sitting all around you right there, right? Well, one goes back to a Bible verse. Study to show yourself an approved workman of God. Wow. I would relate that back to anybody in the trade. If you're going to learn this, study yourself to be a good technician for your boss or your customers. There you go. So it's a pride in workmanship and self-motivation to learn more and to never stop learning. We hear that a lot nowadays. I'd like to thank you for joining me here today, Gary. It's always a pleasure when I get a chance to talk with you. And we share a lot of information electronically and digitally anymore, but it's always good to see you in person and look forward to seeing you there in Chicago in January at the AHR Expo. I'm looking forward to seeing you too. Thank you everyone for letting me give a talk. I hope you got something out of it. If not, blame Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. All right. With that, we'll wrap it up. Thanks, Gary. Well, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our conversation today with Gary Reeker and some of his interesting exploits and career journey that he's taken. There'll be a lot of information in the show notes for sure. Gary talks about the refrigeration service engineers. He talks about his involvement with the Skills USA program and some of his favorite Facebook groups that he belongs to. You can find all the other trade-oriented podcasts of the Blue Collar Roots Network by going to www.bluecollarroots.com. 
We're trying to do our part to help transform and professionalize the trades by filling in the skills gap through training and communication. If you like what you heard today and you haven't subscribed yet, we encourage you to do so. You can do so by going to your podcast app and typing in Building HVAC Science. That'd be either on Apple, Android, Google Play, or Stitcher. You can also listen in your browser directly at bluecollarroots.com forward slash building dash HVAC dash science. We hope you grabbed a few tidbits of interesting information from Gary here today. And if you want to reach out and you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the podcast, or if you just want to reach me directly and talk about some of the things you might have heard or missed today or something you're interested in hearing about, you can email me at bill underscore spone at bluecollarroots.com. That's Spohn spelled S-P-O-H-N. I'm going to close here with one of my favorite quotes, and this one I actually attribute to myself. And I'm hoping you'll reach out to some of you who might be business owners or thinking about it. The quote is, the work of an entrepreneur is often like doing business school homework, except you have no instructor and no textbook. Take care, everyone. Have a great day.